0: Welcome, everybody. This is the Empty Brass Podcast, and as always, I'm your host, CJ Boxrude. This is Season 2, Episode 9 with Joe Farewell, Part 2. As you all know, we sat down a little bit earlier this year at SHOT Show, but we only got about 26 minutes to sit down and chat. So he was out in Colorado, so I drove down to meet him. He was teaching a course up here. And so we sat down, we got a little bit more, cha- little bit more time to talk through some things. And as always, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Joe is one of my favorite people on the planet, and he is always welcome on my podcast. I would always like to sit down and chat more with him and pick his brain. Uh, he's super positive, he's super competitive, and he's really an inspiration to a lot of people, including me. Now before we get started, just a couple of housekeeping things. As always, this podcast is sponsored and it's sponsored by Mac Defense. Mac Defense specializes in building duty-grade handguns for armed professionals and responsible armed civilians. They offer a top-tier product at a price point accessible to the working man. Their no-compromise approach mixed with their ex- expert craftsmanship lead to a fine-tuned product with a focus on functionality in an industry inundated with Gucci guns that fall on their face. They strive to build guns as good as they look, in all conditions. From complete builds to modifying customer-supplied guns and components, they've got you covered. Check out MacDefenseIndustries.com for more. Are you single-handedly saving match directors 50% on pacer?s Do you have an untreated case of the Alpha Mikes? Atlas Gunworks can return you to perfect zero. Check it out at AtlasGunworks.com forward slash perfect zero. What's going on, everybody? You're on another episode of Empty Brass, and I'm your host, CJ Boxrude. And today, I want to say I have a guest, but you're getting close to being have to call a co-host, not just a guest. (laughs) Uh, But for the third time, I'm honored to bring Joe Farrell on the podcast. Joe, thanks for being here with me today. Dude,
1: it's great to be here again, and uh, it's always fun to come on to the Empty Brass podcast and have a conversation with you. Ever since I met you in North Carolina right at uh, Tony Cowden's range... Yeah, it's been fun to see the growth of your podcast, the caliber of people you've been bringing onto your podcast, and just the conversations you've been having. It's been a a lot of fun.
0: You know, season two, we only got 26 minutes. It was SHOT Show. Yeah. Uh, It didn't deter from the quality of the the episode, but we were both exhausted. Uh, There's like some lady trying to plug her charger in (laughs) while we were like in the middle of a conversation. So it's nice to sort of finish up on that uh, conversation that we didn't get to quite uh, finish off in my opinion. Uh, But we're going to start off with just some uh, questions from other people. Uh, We'll try and get through them as quick as possible. But my first question was uh, techniques to cut down split times, especially with a handgun. uh, 0.19 is about the best I can consistently get. So what would you say to that?
1: So split times are one of those things that I don't think are as important as people think they are. Sure. Okay, if you can get a decent split time, 0.19 is there's nothing wrong with that, okay? My best split time is about a .14, .15. I'm not getting 11 splits, 12 splits. Um, I've done that once with a a dissonant KL-12. Shooting 12 gauge with a .11 split is ridiculous. <laughs> um, but that was more of a bump fire than anything. Yeah. Uh, intentional, but not necessarily repeti- re- repeatable. Um, so .19 split is not a problem. The goal should be, can you do that consistently? If you can hit a .19 split consistently and you know at what range you have to shift from a .19 split, um, as, as uh, JJ calls it, an attack target versus a control target. So if your .19 split is super consistent, you can hit that every single time out to 10 yards. And then after 10 yards or 12 yards or 9 yards or whatever that distance is, you shift down to whatever it is that you need to be able to see, two side pictures, two trigger presses, that might be... A, split, 0.28 split, whatever the case may be. Splits aren't that big of a deal unless they're super slow, right? If they're super slow, then yeah, you need to work on finger dexterity. I don't really have a really great way to work on that. I got pretty quick fingers playing paintball when I was like 14, 15, 16. Um, And that was just focusing on every time I would sit there and, and, and work my fingers faster and try to get uh, more efficient with my movement, but when it comes down to shooting a pistol, I think a .19 split on a 7-yard target is totally acceptable. You can push it a little bit faster, but the, honestly, the difference between a .19 split and a .15 split for 100ths of a second does not make that much of a difference. Look at your splits between targets, your transition times. That's
0: where you're going to make up a lot of time when you're actually competing. Uh, one thing I would throw into that, uh, there's not a lot of dry fire you can do while you're driving. One thing you can do while you're driving is work that reset on yep. your trigger. You can let that trigger out and really learn where that brake is. Just like you break it in, you can break it out the same way. A lot of people lose contact when they reset the trigger. They let a little bit of space or they let it out just too much. So I would say make sure you're working on that reset. But I would agree with you. 0.19 is uh, perfectly acceptable. And I mm-hmm. don't know that uh, that is takes priority over a lot of other skills that you could be training on as opposed to trying to get that split down.
1: Absolutely. And I think on the reset, honestly, a little bit of a t- different perspective on that. I try to, I don't worry about the reset. Um, I don't care if you take your finger completely off the trigger. Mm-hmm. Um, you can take it all the way outside the trigger guard. Yeah. As long as you're getting back on the trigger fast. Mm-hmm. Okay. We want to release the trigger as fast as possible and then reset and, and prep it. Right. So in the, in the process of that recoil, we're resetting the trigger Taking it back to that prep point, so we're able to take an accurate shot as soon as possible, Uh, and and you can see that happening in about point two. Uh, Point two is where I can actually get a prep or a reset and a prep momentary pause to confirm sights and take another shot. Anything faster than that is just slapping the trigger twice, and it's okay. It's like depending on the target, the acceptability of the target that you're shooting, it is okay to slap the trigger really fast if you can maintain a good sight picture based off of your grip stance and everything else.
0: Yeah, a lot of people get wrapped up in those split times, but most of the time that you do see really fast splits online, it's uh has nothing to do with accuracy. It's just people trying trying their absolute best to to get that time as low as possible. And as we know that doesn't have a lot of application in other places. Uh the next question I absolutely love because I would echo this question. Uh any tips on making 3 gun more affordable? <laughs> <laughs> so, affordable
1: 3 gun is one of the the holy grails if you will. Um Number one, run what you brung. Okay, if you've got three guns that you can run, start running those three guns and and freaking do it. You can upgrade as you go. I started out with a JM Pro that I borrowed from somebody, a basically a stock rifle and the m n p that I was running for USPSA. So there wasn't anything special about that. Using my USPSA rig, um And then I just added gear. I borrowed a lot of gear initially. Like I had friends that shot three gun and I borrowed their gear. Three gun is an expensive sport. If you start looking at the total cost of everything, it really adds up quickly. And it's one of those things that you... It's tough because you want to buy once, cry once. Like If you can buy quality gear initially off the break, do that. But try to really focus on what are the priorities in that gear. Okay? Mm -hmm. A quality shotgun is something that you should invest in. Don't try to go the cheap route on that because it will cause a lot of frustration. Um, but if you're trying to determine between keeping the the Glock or the M&P that you're running or buying a super expensive pistol, um, well, if you have to determine if you buy the expensive pistol or buy ammo for a year, you should probably buy the ammo. Okay. okay. Now that being said, I run a very expensive pistol. I love my Atlas, right? Right. But if you can achieve an entry into the sport running what you have and get better with what you have there's nothing wrong with it eventually you're going to want to to upgrade it it does become expensive down the road yeah the longer you stay in the sport the more you want to experiment with gear you the more you want to try new things that that will add that little bit of advantage to your game but there are really three things that i I encourage people to, to actually drop the money on and that's a good shotgun. A good belt system, because the belt system will actually last you your entire career, your entire shooting you know career, if you will. Um, good holster, mag pouches, etc. That goes on your belt. Um, shotgun caddies, that goes on your belt. Those things, it's good to buy once, cry once. Sure. Okay, If you get yourself a good holster, a good set of mag pouches, and um, shotgun shell caddies, those are things that you're not going to have to replace right away. And it will, in the long run... Make it more affordable. You may have to save up for right now um, and prioritize some of those things as a as needed basis. But overall, invest in those. um, Well, shotgun, belt system and a good optic. I think that if you cheap out on optic, you will end up uh, paying more in the long run because you're going to want to upgrade anyway. So save up for those things. But if you have equipment, run
0: it. Yeah. I, I think uh, I'm not even a three gunner, but I think the thousand mile view can seem overwhelming. Yeah. But when you're getting into guns in general, just mostly people start defensive and most people start with a good sidearm and they start with a good carbine mm-hmm. and you already have those two established. So it's really not that much to add on that third gun and those third quality parts uh, on the belt rig. Uh, my next question is actually one uh, that I kind of prepared. One of the things I've been doing uh, is when I'm getting ready for a podcast, is I listen to previous podcasts. Uh, I listened to the one with you, with Kvar and John, mm-hmm. and uh, and ego kind of came up there. And so, oh, yeah. uh, one of the things I wanted to kind of elaborate on that that topic is ego. So, uh, too much ego is being very conceited, being overwhelming, uh, being you know just hard to be around. Uh, too little ego, where you know not having any confidence in yourself. Uh, it's probably not going to get you very far. You're probably not going to do well at matches if you have no confidence in your ability. Uh, so talk to me a little bit about uh, what's too much ego, what's too little and how you find that balance.
1: So I think that if you, we see it a lot, especially on social media with um, self deprecation where people mm-hmm. like to talk shit on themselves. Sure. And they're like, Oh, I suck about that. You know, like, look how bad I suck guys. And it's like, no, yet yeah, you can put that out there. You can show mistakes that you make, but learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, Ego, I think, is one of those things that can absolutely crush you because if you get too much into ego, um, you get too full of yourself, you're not humble anymore, yep. right? Humility, I think, is is super important. At the same time, humility does not mean self-deprecation. If you talk crap about yourself, you will meet those expectations on yourself, yep. Um I think that having a good positive outlook, a good expectation of what your performance should be is important. If you read uh, Lanny Basham's book, With Winning in Mind, he talks about that a lot. Mm -hmm. And I think that self-confidence is completely separate from ego. Um, If you get into the idea of I'm the best there ever was, I piss excellence, and you know – if you ain't first, or last. Right? Ricky Bobby, <laughs> Ricky Bobby. <laughs> you know, if you get in that mode, yes, it can be bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and people think you're a dick, and they don't want to be around you, and it turns into a toxic issue. Mm-hmm. However, if you have confidence with humility, while I can walk onto a stage and say, "Yeah, I'm going to execute this to the best of my ability," I'm not going to suck on the stage. Um, then you start to see the benefits of not, not necessarily ego. But self confidence, right? It, it's a there's a fine line there. I can't stand people who are egotistical, think that they are, you know, their 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 poop doesn't stink. Yeah, that they're above you. Um, at the same time, I cannot stand to be around people who are completely negative all the time. It is, you know, it's really frustrating on both
0: sides of the the, the line there. You know what JJ told me uh, off off the line uh, at Shot Show this year. He said, "Pay attention." Uh, in the walkthroughs on stages and listen to people uh, that say things like, oh, I hate mini poppers or I hate swingers. Yep. And then watch them shoot it and you'll see them speak that into existence. Yep. And that's I I talked to him a little bit offline about ego, and I think you and him uh, carry similar egos and and carry yourself in a similar way. Uh, Going with ego, one of the things that I wanted to sort of uh, touch on it from our first first episode in season two this year, uh, you said that last year you felt like you were gone too much Mm -hmm. and that uh, your performance – definitely suffered because you felt like things maybe weren't uh weren't right at home uh how how are you this year adjusting for that how are you uh managing that and what what were some of those performance issues that you saw uh when you didn't feel like uh everything was being balanced correctly
1: that's a tough one um home life is always something that's you're constantly adjusting uh family life you know i've got kids and a wife and trying to make sure that that's balances is, is difficult. Um, last year I was gone a lot. I, I put a lot of work into, and actually the last few years I've really focused on my law enforcement career. And the last two years probably have focused on shooting a lot more. Um, of course, last year was my first year full-time instructor competitor type of deal. Um, pro shooter, if you will. <laughs> I mean, I, I hate that term because yeah. it's thrown around a lot, but um, instructing a lot. And traveling a ton, I was gone more than I was home, and it was difficult on the family life. Um, I am really intentional. I've actually cut out my Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I don't do. I don't schedule classes anymore for those. Tomorrow morning, um, yeah, it's Sunday Sunday evening right now, and I'm in Colorado teaching this class. But I scheduled the earliest flight I could leave out to go home uh, tomorrow, and tomorrow is dedicated to family time. Um. So it's Tuesday and Wednesday. Those mm-hmm. are dedicated to family time. Do I have errands to run? Do I have business to work? Absolutely. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday—that's my work days. That those are the days I'm on the range teaching. Those are the days I'm on the range practicing. Um, and that's helped because I'm able to dedicate focused effort or focused attention onto my girls. Um, and that's I don't know. I, I found that that's been beneficial. So like before I flew out here the day before I I took them fishing and we went and I put my phone away I I, I took a video or two and I took pictures of them when they were catching fish and that was fun but actually focusing effort focusing attention on them versus um constantly working so it's for me it's just a mental shift it's yeah. it's putting in the putting in the priorities where they need to be and
0: it's it's been difficult but it's it's happening so were the the performance issues that you saw arise uh, were they just little mental things, little mental errors that you oh, yeah. don't don't usually make?
1: Yep. Um. On the on the performance side, as far as shooting goes, if things aren't right at home, it definitely takes a toll because you're not thinking about what you're supposed to be thinking about at the match. You're thinking about stuff that's at home. Um, if things are good at home, it can certainly make a difference as far as keeping things consistent when you go to a match because now you're thinking about, hey, how do I execute here? Not yeah. Crap, I got into an argument last week, right? Sure, sure. <laughs> so um, it the mental side is tough. The mental side is definitely the hardest thing to keep sharp and keep on point. The shooting is secondary, I think, as far as uh, once you have the mechanics down, honing the mental aspect takes more work and more concentration, more focus than anything else.
0: Yeah, I ask that from a personal level. You know, you're, you're a father to two girls just like I am. Uh, I'm not a pro shooter. I'm mediocre at best, but I do travel a lot for the podcast. Yep. I have gone a lot for work. You're here on a yeah, Sunday night yeah, exactly. before Memorial Week and you just yeah. drove two hours to come <laughs> down here. Exactly. <laughs> but I I think uh, that balance is all it's a it's a never-ending evolution. Uh so the next thing that I've got here is uh is tools, right? So you kind of brushed over your uh your race car gun for for competition, your atlas. Mm-hmm. Uh when you look at other sports, when you look at golf, uh no one talks about what Tiger Woods clubs are and how that makes him better yeah Uh, no one talks about how uh, you know the NFL that they have these really expensive cleats on or or whatever you want to put the tool that's placed in their hand uh, is generally not given any credit for their ability right why is it that in our industry uh, if you have an atlas then that's what's making you a good shooter
1: that's a good question man um you know you you, I'm sure there are some circles that talk about what what clubs Tiger Woods is using, because I'm sure he gets paid millions of dollars to use those clubs. Right. Um, but when you look at the athlete and you look at what they're doing, um, at the highest levels, like I can hand JJ, I can hand Shane, I can hand Shannon, I can hand uh, Eric Raffel, any one of those guys a freaking stock lock or a stock SIG or a stock m and and say, all right, you run the stage Mm -hmm. and they're going to crush it Mm -hmm. because the fundamentals are there. Does an Atlas help? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely does. Because when I take, when I, for instance, I take a new shooter and they can't put holes in a in a alpha. Mm -hmm. I say, all right, take this gun, try it. And they can sit there and put a great group together. Guess what? That is at least partially a good port part of it. The gun. Um, However, When it comes to applying that to uh, combat, to self-defense, to competition at the high level, it's not necessarily the gun, right? If you work anything at a high level, there is a subconscious execution of the fundamentals. And that comes through purposeful repetitions that are dedicated to perfection, right? It's not... We're never going to make perfection. There is no perfection. We cannot achieve perfection.
2: Yeah.
1: However, anything less than that is unacceptable.
2: Yeah.
1: At, 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 to me, at least. Mm-hmm. I, I know I'm not going to meet perfection. I cannot get zero seconds on the clock and have all alpha's right? But if I do, I end up having a reshoot because the battery died in the timer. But <laughs> what I can do is I can push for that perfection all the time. Um, regardless of the gun I use. And I'm fortunate to teach all these classes, so I'm constantly shooting students' guns. Uh, This weekend, I had a guy with um, an Atlas. I had a guy with an SDI. I had a guy with, or two people with uh, CZs. I had one with a Walther, and I shot all of those guns. Mm -hmm. All of them, okay? And having the opportunity to shoot each one of those guns gives me the chance to apply the same fundamentals no matter what the gun is. And I can demo with each one of those guns. And that kind of broadens my horizons, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, am I, would I be better if I only shot one specific gun all the time? Sure.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sure, I would be. But as a broad-spectrum shooter, I think that three-gun, of course, we're, we're using a lot of different disciplines. And then picking up multiple guns throughout that three-gun experience, we're using even more to make sure that we're effectively applying the fundamentals.
0: When you're so, when you're at a competition, uh, how much of the time do you feel like you have better equipment than those you're competing against, and/or other people have better equipment than you're using?
1: Right now, I'm very happy with my equipment. Right. Um, there's not very often that I feel like somebody has better equipment. Um, I've gotten to the point where the equipment that I have makes me happy. Mm. I'm. Consistent with it, it is tuned to my expectations, and I don't have to worry about it failing. Mm. Can it fail? Sure, sometimes it fails. Today I had a um, a failure to feed on the rifle when I switched ammo. I, I grabbed a mag from somebody else, and it didn't it didn't uh, cycle all the way. And that's part of partially because the gun itself was dirty as hell, and yeah. it's dry as hell out here. <laughs> um, and then I had a failure to extract on the uh, shotgun. And I think I just need to do some maintenance on there. Yeah. So these are machines that we're using. Um, very rarely do I feel like somebody has superior gear to me. And when they do, I don't necessarily feel like that's a, a detriment to me. Okay. Um, I will check what their gear is. If it does seem to be superior, I might look at, does it apply to my game? Okay. Mm-hmm. Is their rifle superior to mine? And about the only thing they can do that's superior would be to be more accurate um and be more consistent. Stuff like triggers, that comes down to personal preference. Stuff like um handguard, that's personal preference. Okay. Optics, I have the best optic. Right? <laughs> yeah. I have the best optic. Um handgun, I have the best handgun for a three gun. Uh that's my my <laughs> atlas. Yeah. Um when it comes down to shotguns, I'm very happy with my shotgun. I still like to experiment a little bit with that. Um I was playing with the Beretta thirteen oh one Competition Pro, I think they just released it. Shot Show, um, and the cyclic rate of that is a lot faster than what I'm running right now, and it's gas operated. It's a little bit less recoil. I don't know. I, I want to play with that a little bit. I don't like the controls on it, so there's there's pros and cons to each thing. But um, I'm not set in one specific path. I like to experiment, but. At the same time, once I find that my gear is consistent and it's reliable and I'm happy with it, then I'm going to run the hell out of that gear.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I imagine at your level that the advantages and disadvantages at gear is probably negligible or less than negligible. Right. Uh, everyone's pretty much got really similar stuff. Uh, the next thing I kind of want to move on to is actually something I learned from you right around a year ago from today. Uh, and that's your uh, your 90-10 to 10, uh Rule or yep. application. Uh, it doesn't just apply to movement. It doesn't just apply to transitions. I think this is something that can be beneficial to anybody, regardless of what their shooting uh, goals or agenda is. Uh, so break down the ninety ten for us. What it means, how it applies to transitions and movement, and maybe other things, uh, and and why it's so important.
1: So ninety ten was a theory that I got from JJ Ricaza. and when I took his class, um, I, and I, as an instructor, I believe that. We are held to a standard that we should constantly be improving. Okay, I I take multiple classes a year, at least two or three classes a year from other people that are, you know, high level instructors that I want to gain information on how they teach, what they're teaching, um, how to improve my game, and if I can get one nugget from an instructor, then that's money's money well spent. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ, I gained a ton of knowledge from. Uh, his 90, 10 theory is basically we do 90% raw speed, push hard, and then we settle into a 10% precision, but you have to define where that 10% occurs. Okay. When it comes down to movement, um, looking at a stage and saying, I'm coming into this position. I want to be pushing hard as I come into the position, but as I come into that position, as I actually set up for that position, I want to be stable. I want to be able to break that shot early. I want to have the gun up. Um, all of these things happen in that 10% precision. We don't want to overshoot that position. We don't want to blow through a wall. Chris um, was talking about, on the live stream, talking about how he's a juggernaut and he blows through stage props. It's like, <laughs> if you if you settle into that 10% precision versus just going raw speed all the time, you're going to be finding that you're shooting sooner, not necessarily faster, right? That 19 split, right? That's a perfect, uh, perfect explanation. We might still be maintaining that 19 split, but your, your time between one position and next position is cut down and you're shooting sooner. Um, on the same note, like on the reload, like we, we drive our hand down to that mag, we grab it, we drive that mag back up to the gun, and then we take that momentary check, unless you're, you're jacked, that you're just slamming it. We take that momentary check where we shift down to 10% to confirm that it's all lined up, and then we slam it in. And that gear shift, if you will, that, that, that shift from raw speed to precision is so crucial because if you stay in just precision mode, which I see a lot of the time, especially with older shooters, um, guys who are from the tactical world that only stay in 10%. They only stay at one speed. That's, you know, you can only move as fast as you can shoot. Well, sometimes you need to move faster, right? You need to move faster than you can shoot. So you can get, you can cover that ground. Mm -hmm. That's called sprinting. Yeah. Okay, If you can sprint and cover that ground and then settle into a position where you can shoot effectively, well, that's good. But if you stay at that effective shooting speed across a 100-yard run, that's not good, right? Yeah. When you're not engaging a target. If you are engaging a target, obviously that's what you have to do. But um, applying raw speed when you need to, applying precision when you need to, and knowing at what point you need to shift that focus, that that, uh, that gear – is important and if you can start to do that effectively during a stage you're going to be a lot more efficient in your stage planning
0: and in your stage execution yeah I used to have a big problem over transitioning my my handgun I would mm-hmm. shoot to the right of targets uh, your explanation at Tony's class of the 9010. Uh, I really don't do that anymore it's pretty much been remedied and we also applied it to movement at that class too. Uh, you know and uh, talking to one of the guys that took your class today uh, he found that extremely beneficial, uh, and he wanted to to make sure that everybody could at least have access to that nugget. Uh, so I agreed. I thought that's why we should. That Oakley, yeah. That's why Oakley should...
1: was in there freaking hammering the ninety and just blowing through yeah. positions like you wouldn't believe. But he settled down once we got there. Once we got locked in, he was rocking it. Yeah,
0: he needs that gear shift a little bit. <laughs> um, all right. So another thing I listened to you and John talk about a little bit. Uh, was just the amount of fluctuation or change that happens within the gun industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, that podcast was uh, recorded sometime in October 2019. Uh, obviously, April and March, we've had some major changes in our society and in our world. Uh, talk to me a little bit uh, first about the gun industry and then second, uh, kind of three-gun. Uh, actually, let's let's do the gun industry first and then I'm going to re- uh, make sure I emphasize the question about three-gun. How But is all that change and fluctuation going to be amplified or what's What kind of changes are we going to see with all this COVID stuff?
1: Well, I think that we're seeing a huge influx of new gun owners, which is awesome on one hand, but something that I want to remind people is that these people, like in March, we had 2.5 million guns sold. In April, we had 1.8 million guns sold approximately. Um, Obviously, we still don't have main numbers, but huge, huge increase of gun sales. Mm -hmm. And that's panic buying. Yeah. And panic, if you look at the word panic, it is based in fear, all right? And so one of my goals for this, and I, I started offering a free gun training um, online to new gun owners that basically I sit down with them for an hour on a, on a live stream and say, look, here's the safety rules. Here's how you handle a gun. Here's how you load, unload, um, dry fire, etc. right? All these different things. But one of my goals with that is to change a new gun owner's mindset from this is terrifying. Mm -hmm. I'm buying a gun because I'm scared to, Hey, let's go to the range, try it out and find joy in it. Because I love shooting guns. Like it brings me joy. Mm -hmm. Um, if we can change our mindset from a, a fear mentality of, this right here is because I am scared Mm -hmm. to this right here is actually kind of fun to shoot. I like to go out to range and I can do target transits. I like to shoot steel because it sounds fun. And maybe we can push them into the competitive world. Some of them into the competitive world. Eventually Um, you're going to see a huge shift in the gun industry. As far as people, people finding joy in the sport that we love. Okay. Mm -hmm. Whether that's steel challenge, trap and skeet, Three-gun, USPSA, IDP, I don't care. If you're having fun with guns, if you're having fun with um, with the – even if you're out plinking cans, like go have fun. Yeah. Right. Get away from the fear mentality because a lot of people are buying guns and they're sticking them in their closet and they don't want to touch them. Mm-hmm. And if one of us as a gun owner can shift that mentality to say, hey, I know you just bought a gun. Let me take you out to the range. Let me show you what's something fun to do. Here's a drill. Try it. Yeah. right shoot two shoot two that's fun yeah. right learn how to enjoy if you're not having fun let's let's see why not yeah. how can we fix that how do we get people away from living in fear because there's so much fear being pushed out there um i can't stand it i hate i hate living in fear because even my young my my daughter she's eight years old she's like um i posted this quote that she threw out there and it was like blew my mind she's like uh I'm going to butcher it a little bit. But she said, basically, if you're living in fear, that's not really living at all. It's mm. just living not to die. Yeah. I'm like, there you mm-hmm. go. <laughs> it's living not to die, right? That's yeah. not living. Yeah. That's living it like we want to live to live. And right. so let's let's shift this whole – and I see a lot of companies right now that are pushing on that fear mentality. Mm-hmm. And they're selling guns to fearful people.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. That may be an entry step into it, but – I think we need to start shifting away from the fear, bringing people into the responsibility and the fun side of gun ownership and the Second Amendment movement in general.
0: Yeah, I talked about on a previous previous episode how it's an opportunity for all of us, and it's important that all of us represent the gun industry well. Uh, to the people in your community, You know, they're going to look to people that they know is the gun guy or the gun girl in their community. They're going to ask questions, they're going to have uh, inquiries, and it's important that you... Uh, emphasize that there is more to it than just being afraid, because lots of people are afraid right now, uh, because everything that's going on, Uh, but on to the three-gun portion of the question. So, some people, I don't really know your opinion, some people probably think it's a good thing, some people think it's a bad thing, Uh, but three-gun doesn't really have a governing body like Mm -hmm. USPSA does, Uh, so it kind of makes it a little bit more uh, unpredictable. Mm -hmm. So, now that we have all of this stuff thrown into the mix, uh, how do you see it affecting three-gun? Do you see it affecting three-gun?
1: I don't see that it's going to affect 3-Gun a lot. Um, I haven't seen any organizational changes, any structural changes. All the matches have been pushed back. Um, But as far as structurally goes, I don't think it's going to affect it that much. Um, Ammo's gone up. That affects 3-Gun because of the panic buying. uh, And matches getting pushed back. Now, there's a ton of matches that have been crammed into September, October, November that are all major matches. And now I'm missing matches that I normally would shoot every year. Um, Vortex Shooter Source. That's one match that I freaking love. It's one of my favorite matches of the year. I can't shoot it this year because they had to reschedule it. They had to push it back. And I've already scheduled myself to teach at a, another conference that weekend. And I can't I can't cancel that. That's, that's my livelihood. Mm-hmm. So um, you're going to see, at this point, you're going to see attendance drop for some of these major matches because of uh, schedule shifts. I hope they can still maintain a full match. Um, I think that you're going to see attendance drop because of ammo prices and because of travel issues. Although I'm not seeing a lot of travel issues at this point, except for you got to wear a mask uh, at the airports. And that's, if you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. Um, I'm not going (laughs) to get into that issue, but you're going to see people start. uh, You're going to see attendance drop too, because of people being scared to leave. Um, Again, going into the fear mentality, I refuse to live my life in fear. I will be cautious about the things that I do. I will be cautious about the way that I interact with people. I will be cautious about I I've already been cautious about that in the past, right? When you walked into a a um a seven eleven at one o'clock in the morning you're cautious about the people that are following you in. Yeah. Okay. And now you walk into a seven 11 at one right. o'clock in the morning, the guy following you is wearing a mask and yeah. it's like previously that would have been a robbery yeah. guaranteed, hundred <laughs> percent of the time. Now it's just like, well, that's it's just weird, Tuesday. So we got to watch that guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, on that note though, like I talked to a lady at, uh, at my local Publix's shopping center and she's like, we've been robbed three times this week. Really? This week. I, and I talked to her on, on Wednesday when I was in there she's like three times. I'm like, holy crap. She's like yeah it's the same person wears a mask changes the wig out and they come in and they're the rob- like that's insane and she's terrified yeah I I'm like be- it's it's craziness and it's just emboldening the criminals and anyway
0: we'll get off that topic yeah I mean <laughs> if, if you do wear a mask I just want you to know that you look soft while you're wearing it that's, that's my <laughs> feeling on it uh, but anyway, if you want to wear one, it's a free country. Yes. Uh, the next thing I want to ask you a little bit about, and we're going to step uh, outside of the gun world a little bit here, mm-hmm. uh, and that's one of the things that I kind of want to do with Empty Brass, uh, but I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, being your, your own boss and a business owner. Uh, what was that transition like, uh, and what did you learn about yourself going from uh, the security, if you will, of, of a job uh, mm-hmm. working for a department uh, to... Uh, if you don't have work next Tuesday, well, then you have to find something. You won't have any. Uh, all of the things that come with with that. What have you learned about yourself uh, through the being a business owner and uh, and some of the pros and cons?
1: So that's kind of funny because um, one of the biggest things that you understand when you become your own boss is you eat what you kill. Mm-hmm. We go back to caveman days. <laughs> if you're not out hunting. Mm-hmm. You're going to go hungry next week. You may have food right now, but if you're not out actively hunting the next kill, you're going to go hungry. Um, so, some, and I haven't had a whole lot of it for me, but I've had people, you know, and I've, I've seen it, but they're like, well, you're your own boss. You get to make your own hours. Like, you do whatever you want to. Like, yeah, but if I decide I'm not going to work today, um, I'm taking a pay cut. Yeah. I don't have vacation days that I get to. Get to spend on this, so it forces you to maintain priorities, right? And if you don't maintain those priorities properly, you're gonna fail fail at business. Um, Last year was a year of grinding. Mm -hmm. I I did I taught 115 classes last year. It
2: was a lot of classes. A lot of classes.
1: And and uh, I you know I ground it out. This year I. Don't know if I'll hit that many. I'm not sure yet. I'm, I gotta go back and look at the predictions, but um, I don't know that I'll hit that many. But it it opens you up to the understanding that we're fragile. Mm-hmm. Okay, and despite the the cost of health insurance, I have health insurance. Um, despite the cost of life insurance, we have had life insurance. But even with those things, I also understand that. Look, if I if I don't wake up tomorrow. What's going to happen to my family, right? Are they going to be taken care of? Can I can I put stuff away for them? Um, sometimes things are really good. Sometimes things are sketchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I had about six weeks ago, I tore my ACL, and that was a major wake up call for me. Mm-hmm. It was it was tough. It's it's it was a really tough moment for me when I I knew I hurt myself. I got an M- MRI. Um, they confirmed I got an ACL tear, and that was like bullshit. Were you, were you shooting or were you? No, no? <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't anything yeah. like well, I was running one wheel and I jumped off of it and hypers in my knee and, okay. um, I didn't face plant. So that was good. But when I stood up, my, I had no stability in my right leg and when got an MRI and I realized at that moment that like, Oh crap, this is uh this is serious, mm-hmm. right? I may not be able to go out and teach. And if I can't teach, how do I provide for my family? Mm-hmm. and if I'm not providing for my family, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. Um, So all those emotions bottled up, and then I was able to process that and kind of get through that, and I'm like, all right, I'm not giving up. I still got stuff to grind out, right? Mm-hmm. Um, So I kept on working, and through that time, that was right at the beginning of the whole, shut everything down, and so uh, ACL repair is elective.
0: Of course, right.
1: <laughs> and so I had to. I couldn't even schedule it. Couldn't even schedule my my surgery. Um, now it's scheduled, so I've got it on the books. It's a month out. But I also know that in a month, I'm not going to be able to work for a while. Mm. So I'm trying to figure out now how do I create um a business that's sustainable even though I'm injured. And I've been working on that. I've got some projects that I've been working on for over a year now that are going to be launched soon. Um, I'm also doing the remote training where I'm doing the FaceTime calls and stuff like that, helping dry fire. And that's helpful match analysis. But as far as maintaining a, a livelihood mm-hmm. um, and becoming your own boss, you would kill. Yeah. And so you gotta be out there hunting. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, if you see me posted on Instagram, it's because I'm out there. I want to communicate with you people. I want to be able to help people on there that helping people, even if I, if I help a thousand people, 10 of those may come to a class and it's, I don't do that for that purpose, but it is part of it, right? Yeah. It's a business. I run a business.
0: I'm not trying to blow smoke, but your content's gotten a lot better too. You know, like your, yeah. the stuff you've been posting is uh, super educational and I feel like uh, it finds holes in maybe some of the more seasoned shooters games where they weren't necessarily thinking about Uh, This little area of their shooting or their movement, Uh, it's explained in an articulate and intelligent way that uh, dumb people like me can understand. (laughs) Uh, And and also, I think the other thing that you're doing that that I really like and uh, that some of the other other people in the industry have sort of mastered a little bit is you're creating conversation. Yeah. Uh, So the example that I would use is the video you posted about uh, the crossover or the lean. And that really got some people hyped up. Got, oh yeah. yeah, It got some
1: people upset. Dude, that was funny. Yeah, but, I was uh, cracking up.
0: But that's good stuff, man. That's uh, that's what we need more of. I think that conversation, albeit uh, you have to deal with some haters and some ignorance. Uh, I still think that conversation is good, and the reason I think that is because other people are reading it mm-hmm. and they're seeing uh, both sides of it, and they're they're e- it's more easy to make a decision on which which information is probably the one they want to go with uh, by reading that conversation. Uh, so we, you came from law enforcement and, uh, if you could carry a 2011 or a double stack nine millimeter on duty, would you? I had
1: the option to, mm-hmm. um, and I carried, so I carried a Glock 21 for my work and I hate that gun. <laughs> it is, it feels like you're holding a two by four. Um, it's reliable. I'll give it that as long as you get good ammo. Uh, but it. The gun feels like garbage.
0: It's got subsonic ammo in it, though. Yeah,
1: (laughs) but (laughs) I'm not wanting it suppressed,
0: bro. (laughs) The 45
1: ACP Glock is just—it's garbage. So, um, I had the option to carry whatever I wanted. I I, wore—I did plain clothes. I did um, a lot of street crimes, narcotics. That's what I did. Mm -hmm. So, and on on the SWAT side, like we literally could carry. I, I knew people that carried 1911s. I knew like, but the reason why i stuck with that Glock for duty um was because consistency of department ammunition and magazines okay okay um my you know, my team when we would go out if i if we had a situation and I, and I worked with another swat team that was local and they got into a situation where they expended all of their rounds hmm. and they had people like patrol deputies pulling up and giving them a, extra ammo because they were going through all of the ammo they brought and in that situation I don't want to be the guy with that oddball mag that I've only got what I brought yeah. right so that Is this was metal yeah. <laughs> yeah so so I made the determination um early on that I was gonna go ahead and stick with the issued gun uh, I would prefer to carry a better gun
2: yeah
1: mm-hmm. um, and I won't discourage people from doing that. Carrying a double stack 1911 and 9mm with 23 rounds is awesome. Mm-hmm. Okay. Also, understand this that if you were to get into a shooting, um, there are a couple things that you may need to do. And I'm not legal advice, so that's not what I'm here to do, but you may have to explain why you're carrying that gun.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. And that's an easy explanation. Yeah, You're more accurate with it, right? Yeah. I am a better shooter with my Atlas than I am with my Glock 21. Mm-hmm. Hands down. There's no <laughs> question about it. Can I shoot accurately with my Glock 21? Sure. I can shoot accurately more fastly and and uh, <laughs> and be able to have more ammunition, etc. with my Atlas. So that's not even a, a question in court. However, if you get into a shooting that gun is most likely going to be taken as evidence in that case. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a homicide. It's what happens is an mm-hmm. investigation. And that might happen for a couple months to a couple of years. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I don't want somebody to take my $5,000 pistol and keep it in evidence for three years. Yeah. <laughs> right.
2: Fair
1: enough. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's one, one mentality that you can use to, to kind of, uh, have a reference point. Um, should it be a deciding factor? Not necessarily. If you're able to carry something and you feel more comfortable carrying something else, do that. Like, I, I won't talk crap about it. Make sure you're carrying enough ammo to supply yourself if you have a situation where you need more ammo. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, There are situations where two mags is not enough. Mm. There are situations where four mags may not be enough. And rare, albeit, but it happens. So take that into consideration.
0: Yeah, those are all uh, factors that I, you know, not being law enforcement, I really didn't consider a lot of those. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, That's all solid information. Uh, what if the, uh, let's just live in a hypothetical world, but what if the department had the opportunity to outfit everyone with them? Does that change it? Or are you still looking at, at some speed bumps? Or are you still looking at some, some hurdles? I think that if the department could outfit everybody
1: with an effective gun, That would be excellent. Um, I've talked to some agencies like Miami who they run a – I think they're running Glock 22s with a nine-pound trigger. Okay. They up the poundage of the trigger because department policy says that's what they have to do. New York City, same thing. They're running a seven-pound trigger, I believe. Some of them are 12. 12? Yeah. Yeah. Depends on where they're at. Okay. And so stuff like that, um, you're seeing agencies now starting to shift away from that. They're getting – data out there that shows that hey a lighter trigger increases our um, qualification rate and I hate qualifications gotta hate qualifications um, are they necessary yes I believe so I think the mindset that goes into qualifications is terrible because most of the time it's a focus on um, it's a focus on how do we get the best group and time is on an issue Unless you get into some of the federal agencies. Some of the, the air marshals, their, their qualification courses are pretty solid, time standards and requirements and stuff like that. But by and large, most qualifications are not practical. They're just not. So agencies are seeing that um, having an effective gun, having a good trigger, having uh, 9mm over forty five, the quality of ammunition has come to the point where it's effective and there's not you're not seeing a major disparity there. Um, but they're still government agencies
0: and they are slow moving. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, actually, I'm glad you brought up qualifications. It was one of the the last questions I had uh, prepared. And so I was trying to think about the way I was going to word this without sounding like an idiot. Uh, but one of the things I was just kind of thought about as I was coming down here, uh, what would your opinion be on having a set of criteria uh, that the qualification was almost set up like a match? Uh, so whether mm-hmm. it be the equipment that the carbine only, or that the the department only gets a handgun, or maybe they have a handgun, carbine, and shotgun, uh, what if you could set up a criteria so each department could basically fall within a set of rules, mm-hmm. and it had some sort of time versus accuracy standard at the end of it? What what do you think? And I know we're living in kind of a dream world on yeah. this. Uh, there's there's thousands of departments. It would take forever, but I do think the conversation uh, has some value. What do you think about? that is a qualification or what would be what would be some changes that would need to be implemented for it to be successful.
1: It's an interesting thought. Um I I I think it's a cool conversation to have. Um reality ways I don't know that it's it's logic not logical. I think it is logical, but I think it would be really tough to make that actually happen anywhere in the in the books. The biggest thing for qualifications is you have to be able to take that into court and say, "Hey, here's the qualifications that we have." This person is qualified to carry a gun because of this. Okay. Okay. And to define what this is, mm-hmm. there are lawyers and stuff that go into that. Um, I developed a qualification course for a church security team um, that included specific drills. The specific drills that included skill sets that apply to church security, being able to pick it out a target effectively and put act you know effective rounds on that target. While maintaining um, accuracy around no shoot targets, uh, multiple positions, multiple distances, I think that that's doable with acceptable time standards. Most agencies that I know of are not trying to fail people. They do not want to fail people. Hmm. If you fail somebody, that is a liability to the agency. That is a li- and it, it costs money. Mm-hmm. Okay, because now they're having to pay trainers to retrain them, and they're having to do you know, additional training to make sure they're able to meet the qualification standards. So most agencies want it to be passable. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, that's why you have specialty units. Yeah. Right. That have higher standards. And even a lot of the specialty units have dropped their standards over the years to bring in more people. Um, I don't believe in that. I think that we should have high standards for specialty units. I think we should have a high standards for people who are, are carrying a gun for a living. Um, the problem is right now, a major issue is recruitment and law enforcement is down. You know, Law enforcement as a whole is frowned upon, um, especially in the current situation with um, government overreach. Um, things that are happening by law enforcement, by cities, by counties, by states, that a lot of people, including myself, believe are absolutely unconstitutional. And so law enforcement as a whole is being frowned the upon. Mm-hmm. There are still really good officers out there. There are still people doing the right thing. And that's the vast majority of people, I believe. Yeah. But there are a lot of, a lot of things going on right now that are kind of showing light on, on people's true colors. don't. Um, it's a good thing and a bad thing because you're, you're getting a, an awareness of what's actually happening in the backdoor councils. Yeah. Um, but it's not a good thing as a, as a whole for our country. I don't think.
0: Yeah, actually, let's talk about that. So uh, one of my opinions on it is that uh, law enforcement, by and large, uh, get used to a process, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, this is policy. Uh, yep. You're going to enforce policy. And most of the time, it is mindless because most of it does make sense. Like, hey, yep. if uh, suspect X is being charged for murder, then you're going to go arrest them, and you're going to you know, be on your highest alert, essentially. And yep. so you just go execute that. Uh, what we're seeing in the last two months uh, is policy. Uh, that shouldn't be being executed right you know that's that's what the frankness of it is uh from your perspective from some of the guys you talk to in your old department from what you see from a national perspective uh, what's going on within that community as far as conversations as far as actions as far as it is a whole with this well, with all this
1: craziness so cops are people right yeah. um people have families people have jobs mm-hmm. jobs provide food for their families yeah okay um when you are faced with a dilemma of do I disobey and risk losing what is providing for my family because I believe it's right or do I not? That's been a question that's been asked across history, mm-hmm. right? Um, I believe that if you do the right thing, it, it pays itself back
2: Yeah.
1: at the same time. You know, if you look at, look at history, when people did the right thing, they also got killed for it. Yeah. Okay. And I don't think we're in that situation now, but we are in a situation where, where people are being fired for the, from their jobs and they're out looking for a new job because they did the right thing and did not refuse to execute an order, um, that was unconstitutional. Constitution is, is our, as our founding document. Yeah. Um, when you look at that and you say everything that we do should be based off of that, it's important that you make every decision based off of that document. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen where where we have cops – there was one up in Washington, up in Seattle that recently posted a video that uh, he got a lot of flack for, okay? It was a pro constitution, pro choice as a officer to make the right choice, and he ended up getting fired. Oh I don't know that he got fired. I know he no, was placed he... on suspension. He was pending um termination. I haven't heard, I haven't looked back into it this past weekend. Um whether or not did you know he, I think he's done. I I, I, be- I, be- I, believe he got, I believe he got terminated. Yeah. Um it's unfortunate because he made the right call. And he brought a lot of other people into that right call.
0: Um Let's, let's call, let's uh, focus on a little bit of the details too, though. Cause I want to be, uh, I want to be impartial on this. So mm-hmm. he had a GoFundMe page that had a shitload of money. Yeah. It was like $400,000 or something. Yep. Uh, that makes it a little bit more easy to be like, well, fuck this department. I'm out of here. Yeah, you absolutely. Uh, there's other guys that were probably sitting at 16, 17, 18 years mm-hmm. uh, within two to three years of their retirement that didn't make headlines. that didn't have a viral video yep. uh, that aren't sure what they're going to do now. And they just, uh, they, they handed over their retirement, how they were going to take care of their family in the later parts of their life. Uh, so that, you know, like you said, there's, there's always this uh, push and pull. And uh, I think you're, you're talking a little bit more about the guy that maybe had close to his retirement that yes. didn't make headlines. Yeah.
1: And that, that for for somebody like that is a really, really difficult call. And unless you're in that position, you can't judge him. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, you want to, you want to so bad. Um, it's a tough call. And if you put yourself in his shoes, his, her shoes and say, look, that's what he's providing, you know, for his family, or that's how he's providing for his family. Um, it's really difficult. I still struggle with that myself because I'm not in that position of having a pension and, and I gave that up yeah. I and that, that was willing, you know? Um, but if you look at it in a big picture, I think that you're going to be rewarded for doing the right thing in the long run. Um, you may take a pay cut. You may take a hit on your retirement. The money that you put into it is always going to be there. should always be there. But, uh, it's a tough call, man. It, constitutionally, I think there is a right and wrong choice to be made. And when it comes down to writing people tickets on the beach for sitting out or going surfing or whatever, nah, you're not going to find me doing that. Yeah, um, I'm not going to – well, I I would say I'm not going to badmouth people to do that, but I'm sorry. that's I can't stand for that.
0: Yeah. And to, to the dude in Washington too, I'm, I'm not trying to hate, yeah. you know, no, like no, a, no, not at all. I'm glad he, he's...
1: when he put that video out, he didn't have nope. a GoFundMe. He didn't have a massive following that video went viral. Yes. And he did create a massive cushion for himself afterwards. Same thing with the, the lady in, in, uh, in Dallas mm-hmm. who reopened yeah. her salon. You know, that was something that absolutely blew up. Mm-hmm. But when she, decided to make that decision that, yeah, you're not, I'm going to stay open. You're going to send me to jail. So be it. yeah She didn't have that cushion ahead of time. Yeah. She didn't have the governor's support. Now she does. But what about the, the thousands of other business owners that have been put out of business because of it?
0: Yeah. And no, I stand with both those people. You know, I, I fully support them and I'm glad uh, it pretty much worked out for them. Uh, you know, one thing that I try to convey to people is your moral compass guides you in the grocery store, Uh, when you don't shoplift things or you do shoplift things, your moral compass guides you when everybody's watching and when nobody's watching. And I I think that should apply for law enforcement too. Like your moral compass is above your pension. It's above your retirement. But at the same time, uh, like you said, I'm not gonna judge somebody for trying to take care of their family. I I would never do that. Uh, I think it's about working together. It's about uh, about finding that happy medium. All right, so I kinda wanna close with this. you sort of dabble in open a little bit, uh, you kind <laughs> of run, yeah, run limited most of the time it seems like or, or your guys' uh, version of limited, is it called limited?
1: It's uh, either practical, tack ops, stuff like that. So. Okay. Uh,
0: but divisions in general, mm-hmm. uh, do you think that we will see more of a separation between divisions and I'm talking 3Gun and USPSA or do you think we will see more of a blending? Of the two, because a lot of people don't know this, but back in the day there was no divisions, mm-hmm. and then they basically made limited and open dots and comps versus no dots and comps. And since then we've obviously like continued to progress and evolve. You throw three gun in there, you get even more variety. Uh, what do you think uh, going forward the divisions uh, will kind of look like? M- more of the same, a little bit, a little bit condensing, or a little bit more spread?
1: I think we're we're pretty much going to be where we are now. Um, I think carry optics was the 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 last big. Addition to the USPSA divisions. I think you're always going to see people t- tweaking the rules here and there, mm. capacity, etc. Um, I'd love to see power factor change. Uh, I think 40 needs to go the way to the Dodo. Um, three gun, there's a lot of people pushing for uh, having pistol, you know, like carry optics dots in tack Ops. Um, I don't think that's necessary. I think you're going to see that still staying in open, dots staying in open. Mm-hmm. Um, could there be a match here or there that, that adopts something like that? Sure. But I think that divisions in general are one of the things that people get too caught up on. Um, shoot what you want to shoot. Yeah. Have fun with it. Yeah. Okay. I, I like to dabble in open I like to go fast. Yeah. <laughs> I like shooting box fed shotguns. I like shooting dots. It's a lot of fun to me. Um, I also love shooting iron sights. I love quad loading. Mm-hmm. So I don't. I, I I get tired of the arguments and stuff like that. It's like, just shoot what's fun for you. Yeah. If you don't, if there's not a division that's fun, then go find a different sport. Yeah. Um, go shoot you know, sporting clays, <laughs> yeah. do something else that's fun. But if you can't find a division, that's actually enjoyable for you, then go do something else. If you, if you are so tied up in shooting a dot and you want to have a dot with a compensator, but not shoot open them, dude, just shoot open. Yeah. Right. I don't know. That's, that's one of the minutiae things that people overcomplicate and over, over dive into, in my opinion, just like do what's fun for you. Okay. There's nothing that says you can't come into the sport shooting open. You know, people like to say, well, you, you should always start in production. You should always start in limited. No, go shoot what's fun.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, I kind of wanted to segue that into this. So you, take a, you did 115 classes last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're out here 1,000, 2,000 miles away from home. Uh, what have you seen as far as uh, the diversity in the shooting sports? Uh, is it growing? Are you seeing more different types of people show up to your classes, more reasons to show up? Or is it kind of uh, still going to be a small, uh, condensed community that come from a couple of select different groups?
1: I think that you, we are going to see a expansion in our diversity. Um, I think that's because we have this new massive influx of gun owners mm-hmm. from all groups. Yeah. It's not just your typical um, middle-aged white male, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing major pushes in women gun owners. You're see major pushes in the minority gun owners. Mm-hmm. And with that, you're also going to see those groups coming into competitive shooting more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, I have, I, I fully support it. The more people we can get into the, the sports, the more people that find the joy in gun ownership, the more people that will find the responsibility and it'll be a safer gun owners. And they'll continue to promote the responsible gun owner cause which is what the second amendment's based off of is being able to protect yourself um <clears throat> i think that I mean it's all it's all speculation it's all your own opinion and everyone's telling you their own opinions but i think that you're going to see more people from different diversities coming into the shooting sports and i think it's a good thing um, we shouldn't be closed-minded to it. We should be open to the people coming in. We should be welcoming. We absolutely need to make them feel comfortable in the shooting sports, as long as they're being safe. Mm-hmm. Okay, that you know, safety is is the that's the gatekeeper for us. Mm-hmm. We have to maintain safety, and that's why we can have thousands of people shooting millions of rounds a year in competition, and nobody gets hurt. Or very, very, very few injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just because we have extremely stringent safety rules but as far as your question on on diversity mm-hmm. yeah it's gonna i think you're gonna see expansion on it it's good
0: yeah it is and i think it's uh the conversation has value for that reason is just talking about uh, how can we be more welcoming or how can we make sure it feels open to everybody yeah uh staying at the size we're at doesn't do anybody any good No. Nope and uh, I mean if you're traveling around 115 states and that's a lot of classes or 115 classes and however many states (laughs) uh, that's a that's a lot of a lot of people that you're seeing and I'm I'm glad there is some change in the the variety that you're seeing or the diversity Uh, as you can see by me mixing up my words I'm getting pretty tired Uh, this one was three times as long as our last one so I'm thankful (laughs) for that one it wasn't hard to beat 26 minutes uh, but always it's a pleasure to have you on my show it's an honor always love seeing you and hanging out with you and thanks a bunch for being on man appreciate it well you.
1: thank you for making the drive down here i enjoyed it and it's been fun i'm looking forward to the next time we get to hang out hopefully we could do some shooting next time it's been a couple of times since we've actually got to shoot together so next time come down to florida or i'll come up to your place and push the long range or shoot some fast stuff
0: yeah i think i might hold you to that uh burris team challenge next year being my partner yeah, for man. that um if you, if you want to know more about Joe, uh, you can check him out on his Instagram, which will be linked in the show notes, and then uh, farewellfirearms.com as yep. well. Uh, you can visit it there and check out all he has to offer. I think he's sort of leading the game uh, in digital training, at least in my opinion. Uh, but as always, I'm your host, CJ Boxroot, and this is Empty Brass.